Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses for an audience of entrepreneurs. And one of the cool things about living in San Francisco is how many people I get to meet when I go to dinner and all the different conversations that I get to be a part of. And a friend of mine invited me over to his house for dinner and admittedly said, I just want you to help keep the conversation going, bring out what's interesting in people. And I did. And at dinner, he interrupts me to make sure that everybody around the table knew that one of the guys who was sitting at the table was an early investor in Uber. And I bring this up because this is kind of a common thing that people will at dinner make sure that you know what their friends invested in or what they invested in. And it's impressive. Um, but it also is something that many people don't have access to, that if you're busy working, you just don't have the time and capacity to build the relationships to get access to, to opportunities like those kinds of investments. And that's where today's guest comes in. Uh, John Medved is the founder and CEO of Our Crowd. They are the world's largest online venture platform Um he, this specifically the way that he describes it, the world's largest online venture platform that you don't know of yet. And I, I feel like we do know about it as people who are listening to Mixergy. I don't think that we know enough about how it works because as much as I've known about you, John, I just felt like when talking to you before, I didn't realize how much you do to help fund um companies and also to help vet them. So we're going to find out about that today. I'm also going to find out a little bit about your background. I don't know who you are. Um, I also want to know how you started a venture firm early in your career when all I could see that you did before was uh, you were VP of sales. And then if we could talk openly about some of the, the the vision that you had at a company called Vringo and some of the challenges that you had seeing that vision, because Vringo could have been YouTube, could have been Facebook. I'd like to do that too. And we could do it all thanks to uh, a phenomenal sponsor. It's HostGator, but I'll tell you later why you should go to HostGator first. John, good to have you here. It's great to be here, Andrew. Thank you. Let's let's understand how our crowd works by looking at a simple, single um, company that you funded. Beyond me, I, I heard that you said we are going to support this vegetarian meat option after you tried it at a barbecue. Absolutely. I, I uh, actually tracked it down because I had heard they were the by far the best uh, plant-based burgers in the world. And I was with my family in uh, Jackson Hole and uh, uh, actually went to the market. And the guy says, hey, you're in luck. They're in stock. And I walked down to the uh, uh, freezer uh, corner where they were, and I grabbed three packages. And that was it. I took them out. And took them home and then served them up for my kids, and they went wild. Now, I keep kosher, so we haven't had cheeseburgers in my house ever, I mean, with my kids. Because but meat I, and dairy do not go together yeah, in kosher. That's right, in, in kosher. All of a sudden, my kids were introduced to the delights of cheeseburgers. So when this came up as a potential investment for us, um, and there were questions about the valuation, because we got in um, before the IPO, but at about a billion dollar valuation price, because at our crowd, we don't just do angel deals, we do deals through all stages of investment. And I remember that there was a, you know, sort of a rather heated discussion at our investment committee about, uh, because we vet and decide ourselves on every deal that will go up on our platform. And Wait, I said, let me pause right this, there. That's, that's something I didn't know. My assumption was our crowd allows 
just about anyone to just list themselves on your, look at the look you're giving me as I say, list themselves on your site. And if they want to raise money, I mean, you do a little bit of vetting, I assume, but not a lot. If they want to raise money, we could, we could contribute money and we get a share of the business. No, you're shaking your head wildly. No, 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 completely wrong. Exactly the opposite. Basically we do a venture screen ourselves on every deal that we put on the platform. We actually deploy our own capital as a GP uh, and we set up SPVs or uh, special purpose vehicles, which are essentially single company venture funds to back them. And, and we're, our acceptance ratio of deals that we look at is about one to 2%. So un- unfortunately, I wish we could do more deals, but we look at a hundred deals to find one or two of them. So that it's a completely different thing. So anyway, okay. bottom line is we, we had a drop down uh, drag out fight, you know, over this, pricing and beyond meat luckily i won with the conviction because i had tasted the thing and uh, ultimately we had a a a 5x plus on that investment and uh, it happened pretty quickly because that was the best performing ipo of of 2019. john can you say how much our crowd put into the business and how much individual investors on your site put in it was a six million dollar, uh, con- you know, uh, participation in the Beyond Meat round that we. Does that mean our crowd put in six million, or that the, people on the you site? You know, the uh, SPV and uh, our pr- portion of that, it ranges. It's according to a, a formula, but it's typically between three and five percent, which is a you know pretty healthy GP stake. And most venture funds, GPs will put anywhere from one to five you know, percent of the uh, total capital. Oh, so you, you said you put in 3% and then that means that the 97% uh, that's left goes to people who come to your site, who see an offer, who see a company that they want to back and then they invest in. And I assume as long as they're accredited, they could invest. That's correct. Uh, you have to be accredited, meaning you have to have the asset test, which is a million dollars of assets outside of your primary house okay. or $200,000 annual income. Um. 14 million households, by the way, in America meet that test, according to estimates. I have to say, so I, I would have assumed even more. Do you, it's because of the house. If you, you know, in other words, you probably assume more that people have a net, you know, because of housing uh, prices where they are, but you have to subtract uh, the house. Okay. I guess I assume more because I live in San Francisco and it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of those 14 million, at least 10% are in the Bay Area. That's for sure. Okay, I wonder how much of of you not being known and the details not being known has to do with the fact that you're outside the Bay Area. You're all the way in the Middle East, that you are not hanging out at the parties that we're in. You're not part of the conversation. And I have another theory that another part of it is a company like AngelList works with individual investors that they turn into fund managers, essentially, and then they all become promoters. And so the fact that you're not here and that you don't have all these people who are basically scouting out and, and promoting you. Is that it? Yeah, that might be part of it. But look, it's, first of all, it's changing. Right now, uh, we're over uh, well over 100,000 registered members on our site. And uh, our, our investors are pretty exciting group of people, a lot of family offices, a lot of you know serious people, a lot of people in the Valley. But um, it's very, we're very different than AngelList because when, and by the way, I think when Naval is built and his team is spectacular and we're huge fans and friends of AngelList, but uh, our, our crowd is different. Our, our crowd basically uh, democratizes more traditional venture capital 
we are not, you know, backing angels. So, for example, we don't buy common shares by and large. We buy preferred shares. Okay, and that means you get preemptive rights, the right to participate in future rounds. We get anti-dilution protection. Um, we get all the, the the benefits and the insider kind of uh, uh, share structure that that venture funds get. We uh, will invest big checks. So when I talk about $6 million, that's not an outlier, right? There are many companies that will invest $10, $20 million over time. And we back our companies over and over again. So you'll see companies where we start with like a million or $2 million check and we'll grow a position to be 20 million and ultimately own a venture stake, which is typically 10% as much as 20 or even 25% of a company. We sit on boards. Okay, we actually uh, have board seats in almost half of our total portfolio, which is, uh, again, like venture capitalists. And what we do is we also provide a, a huge amount of added value, whereas uh, a site like AngelList is providing a forum for angels to raise money. We're based, we have a whole department doing business development. We work with a thousand multinationals to introduce them to our companies. We raise money. Uh, outside of our platform by introducing our companies to other venture capital funds. We get our companies in the press. And the value add really is where you compete today for getting deal flow, right? In other words, there's a ton of money out there, right? Everybody can raise money, Some, not everybody, but a lot of people who are skilled can raise money uh, from different sources. But what 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 really distinguishes you and gets you into the deal is what you can manage to do in terms of bringing value to the entrepreneur. And that's where we, I think, have a, a special edge. The dream of crowd investing has always been that all the people who invest then become big cheerleaders, supporters, promoters, and customers of the companies that they invest in. Is that happening? Yeah, big time. And it, and But it's not just cheering and posting to social media and things like that. It's introducing your cousin who just graduated from MIT so we can get a job and, and help in you know data science. It's basically uh, talking to your neighbor who works for CNN, getting a, a, you know an appearance for the company there. It's uh, bringing them to your you know classmate who's a, a GP at you know uh, Andreessen or whatnot. And it's it's remarkable how the network effect of the people that we have who are mobilized by us. And we're building this into the platform. The other thing which people don't realize is we have 50 programmers working for the company. We're now up to 240 people at our Support the companies that you invest in? No, no, they 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 build the platform. And what happens okay. on the platform? How how is the platform enabling investors to support the company that they're backing? So there's an introductions feature, right? You know, if you look at our website, you'll see that uh uh you know, you are being called upon by the companies to make introductions for certain requirements they have. We are um, sourcing deals from our investors. It turns out that probably our best source of deal flow, two best sources are our entrepreneurs who have worked with us. And we've had 47 exits so far. So a lot of them are successful and they'll bring us other entrepreneurs. But the other source is the investors themselves who all of a sudden Say, hey, wait a minute! I know these guys. I've worked with them. I'm investing with them. Um, I'd love to, you know, get them into my deal. And uh, so, for example, right now we're doing a deal in um, in the Valley, a company called Zippin, where we're actually leading the transaction. It's a company 
doing uh, going after Amazon uh, Go and uh, sort of the next generation of, of frictionless shopping. And it's a spectacular Valley deal, okay, uh, backed by uh, Jim Scheinemann and the guys at Maven Ventures. Jim gave, you know, Zoom its name. And, you know, we were introduced uh, to the company by Jim, by sort of a, you know, pedigreed uh, Silicon Valley uh, venture capitalist said, hey, we're looking for uh, an outfit to lead this next round. And it turns out that we're doing it. All right. Let me understand how it started. You guys founded uh, were founded in 2012. That's the same year that the Jobs Act uh, went into effect, right? That's, that's correct. That's the Obama Act that enabled more people to invest, right? Yeah. So look, the uh, the problem was always viewed is that you know I, I remember when I started talking to friends in 2012 about this idea because mm-hmm. again one of the things which. I think many people who are not entrepreneurs get wrong. They think if you have a good idea, you should be quiet about it because someone will steal it. And I feel exactly the opposite. The more you talk, the more you can refine, and, and that's yeah. how you start companies. So, But a lot of people who were in the know when I would talk about this said, Medved, you know, I'll, I'll take you kosher food to Leavenworth because you're going to jail. Okay, you can't, you can't, you know, hawk these companies, you know, online. That's not going to work. Okay, because promoting yeah. because um, promoting investment opportunities was dangerous. Well, it turns out that there was it, it was illegal to do public solicitation. Mm-hmm. Okay, there was something called Reg D five hundred six B. All this, you know, regulatory stuff, which said that you know, yes, you could bring um, to the attention of a pre-existing relationship an investment opportunity. You know, and you have to have PPMs and all that stuff. Okay. And so that's how we started. But it turns out that the Jobs Act created a 506C, which allowed people to do public solicitation. So today I can put a billboard up on 101. I put TV ads today up on Bloomberg and CNBC. You can, you know, we're getting a lot of investors who are, so we're allowed today to actually uh, talk about these opportunities. And that's been a huge game changer. was that what allowed you to start this business? Is it that that happened and that's what led you to start our crowd? No, no. The public no. solicitation was something that, that was sort of essentially pointed to in the Jobs Act. Okay. But it took about two and a half or three years, if I'm not mistaken, for the actual regs to be promulgated by the SEC. But there were no action letters issued for both uh, AngelList and uh, Funders Club by the SEC. What does that and mean? That means that uh, you're allowed to do what you know all of us do, which is you know put this up online. And when we asked them, does that include us? They said, look, you know, take take a look at the uh, at at, at, the, at these no action letters, and 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 we've been fine. And got we're it. Up. But so you saw that this was coming. You said, I'm going to jump on this and going to open up investing in pre-IPO companies to in private companies to more people. The first company that you backed was. Um, A company called Consumer Physics. Okay. What was that? This is a company that um, proposed to make the world's smallest spectrometer. Okay. Mm -hmm. Spectrometers are things that like you use to Google matter. Okay. Tell you how many calories are in your steak or how much fat content or how much sugar is in your berries. And um, the idea behind that company was to create a little chip that would go into your cell phone that we would okay. all walk around Googling. It was a great idea. 
And uh, we not literally think- Googling, but using it to understand, or maybe yes, Googling, you mean it would tell us what's in our food and then it would go get data from the internet yes, to, un- and, to help us understand yeah. it. And by the way, that vision is, is someday going to be realized in cell phones. The problem was that while we built this incredibly tiny spectrometer, uh, after $50 million was invested, after we put the $300,000 of seed money and millions of more dollars of our own money, we couldn't get it small enough to go into the phone or cheap enough to go into the phone. So that was our first investment. But because we manage these things and help the companies, when all the other VCs who were around the table took off and ran, we stayed together with one other partner and repositioned the company as an ag tech company, who today is the leading uh, ag tech company using spectrometry in the field to basically measure corn, soybeans, animal feed, Driscoll's using it for berries, okay, uh, doing 2 million tests a year, et cetera. And that company is off to the races now. I see, the, I see their website right now. It's not a small thing that goes in your phone. Now they are selling like a big cup that yeah. connects <laughs> well, to so your big. phone. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, like one of those gulp size cups that you can then scoop up berries and get an instant test of bricks or sugar content, which Driscoll's is now using as their exclusive uh, uh, quality assurance mechanism for their berry sweetness. How hard was it to get them on board to raise money with you? Um, was, uh, you know, persuading them to do it with us was not that hard because not a lot of people were willing to take the adventure of believing that you could shrink a spectrometer. Okay, if you've seen it, spectrometers like this big, way geeky, sensitive piece of instrumentation that typically costs like $100,000 or more, and it sits on a desktop or a lab bench. And if you'd like breathe on it the wrong way, it's going to get out of calibration. Okay. Uh, and so when we, when we saw that, most people said, you're never going to shrink that except that I had my first company was a fiber optic communication company. So I knew more optics geeks than the most other venture people. Uh And uh, I knew a couple who said, it's a great idea. It'll work. And so we did it. And so did you know the company? Did you know the founders beforehand? No, no. It was just you finding a deal. No, They were introduced to me by one Uh of my early people, you know, uh, 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 who was, one of my HR whisperers who helped me build my team. And she said, she whispered in my ear and said, just look at this company. And uh, I, what was the first step you took with our crowd? Was it putting a team together? Was it raising money or was it going after this company? Um, probably all three and, and a little more. I mean, you ha- had to have a team, right? I needed finance and I needed legal and I needed deal flow and I needed investor relations. I needed all that. So put together a team of uh, early uh, uh, partners, uh, I needed companies because you couldn't really get this idea proven unless you showed people, you know, what you were talking about here. And and I needed money. So, you know, we did basically all three. What we did when we raised the first money for the platform is we forced the people to put $1 of equity into the company and $1 into the companies. What do you mean? So, oh, so when they invested into the company, got it. So every time you raise money for one of the companies on the platform, you were also raising money for our crowd and they were working together. And that's how it, that's how it started. You know what? I'm looking at an early version of the site. One thing that stands out is at the very top of the site, it says, why Israel? 
why are you open about where you where you are in, in an international world? Why why well, does Israel matter in the beginning? Why does it even matter today? Well, remember that in a pre-COVID world, location did matter, right? Okay. In other words, there's the famous uh, statement of Mike Moritz back you know, maybe several decades ago that he wouldn't invest in something he couldn't ride his bike to. And, uh, you know, there, there is always the sense of, uh, uh, you know, and, I, and I have lived here in Israel now for 40 years. I grew up in uh, California. I was born in San Diego and raised in LA, went to school at Berkeley. Uh, and people basically didn't understand Israel early and then they finally figured it out and Israel became the startup nation and, you know, a lot of excitement here, but no one knew how to access deals here. So what we sort of shamelessly used as our wedge to get uh, initial investor interest was here's a way for you to discover Israeli startups. Now today about 40% of our deals are outside of Israel. We have a very large component of deals that are not here, but Israel just, for your listeners' benefit, has 10% of the world's unicorns, okay? Other than Silicon Valley, there is no place other than Israel. This year in Israel, there will be over $20 billion invested in venture capital. That's up from $10 billion last year. And so the Israeli ecosystem, by the way, it's up from $2 billion in 2014. So that's a 10x growth. We're not talking 10x for a company. We're talking 10x for an ecosystem. So there, we've, you know, we're very proud to be based here, but we're global. Just like you have global companies headquartered in the Valley who are proud to be part of the, as you were uh-huh. describing before, the unique Silicon Valley ecosystem. We're a global company proud to be part of the Israeli ecosystem, but headquartered here. Uh, so that's what it was. In the beginning, you were saying, I see opportunities here. There are companies that are going to be big here in Israel. I'm here. I'm going to bring them to the world. So it's not just crowdfunding. It's also crowdfunding this type of company in an area of the world that people don't realize is going to be big. And then it turns out that you are right. All right. I want to know how you got started. Um, I did find out that you were uh, that you grew up in San Diego. Let's let's just get a little bit of your childhood to get to know who you are. And then I want to know how you got into venture funding because you had some really big hits in the beginning. And as I said, I want to find out about the company that you um uh that you started afterwards. But San Diego, what was it like when you were growing up? Were you entrepreneurial back then or were you a surfer? Uh, my dad was a surfer. My dad was a surfer and a rocket scientist, literally working okay. for General Dynamics. He would, you know, work during the day and come out and when I was a little kid. I would go on the boogie board and he would be on the big board and um, lived in Pacific Beach, you know, in San Diego. And then we moved to L.A. where we lived in the west side of L.A. And I was very much part of the uh, end of the 60s, early 70s and the uh, all the excitement then. And then, of course, I went to Berkeley, which was well, a, before we get into Berkeley. I lived in L.A. I loved Santa Monica. It was beautiful weather, good people but it was really also hard to work there and San Diego even harder because of the surf culture where you, and I didn't want to have, I never, I never had to work there. I, I left those places when I was younger. I never, I've, How you old? know, uh, I left San Diego when I was seven and I left LA when I was 17. So then and, as you were a teenager in LA, did you start little businesses? Were you entrepreneurial? No, I was a political kid. I, I, I ran uh, a district office for George McGovern in okay. 1972. I walked precincts for Bobby Kennedy. Uh, I uh, worked for the United Farm Workers. I was a, uh, you know, 
I, 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 you know, sort of bought into the 60s culture in every single way uh, hard. And then uh, actually came after my freshman year at Berkeley to visit Israel because that was the only place my parents would pay for me to go abroad and I didn't have money to go elsewhere. So I came over to Israel and I fell in love okay. and ultimately kept on coming back and taught myself Hebrew and then moved to Israel in 1980. And so this sales job that you had, optical communications, merit optical uh, optical communications, this was in Israel nine years. The hippie becomes a salesman? Well, no, it's a little bit more interesting than that even. My father, the surfer rocket scientist, comes back into my life. Uh, my dad was uh, a really, my late, late father was a brilliant scientist who was a pioneer in fiber optics and actually also part of the astronaut uh, scientist astronaut program for NASA when they were first thinking of going to Mars, they were going to send scientists there, believe it or not, in the uh, uh, late 60s, early 70s. My dad came to visit me in 1982 in Israel and see how I was doing. And uh, he asked that I accompany him to go visit some scientists up north at a place that was making missiles called Rafael. Today, they're the maker of Iron Dome, uh, which is the anti-missile system. And I went up on this meeting with him and uh, I was bored to tears because this is before iPhones and it was, I was not, wasn't polite to sit in the meeting and open up a book and I was supposed to be the translator, but of course they spoke perfect English. And at the end of, end of this meeting where they're talking about signal to noise ratio and harmonic distortion and you know single mode fiber, et cetera, one of the guys turns to me and says, okay, young Medved, what are you doing with your life? And I told them, I said, I was a sort of part-time tour guide. I'm hanging out a lot in the old city of Jerusalem, meeting a lot of homos, meeting great women. And he looked at me and said, total waste, dude, you know, in Hebrew. My father couldn't hear it. And I was really PO'd. And I looked at him and said, what do you mean? And he goes, you know, guys like you, we got by the dozen. What we need are entrepreneurs. Your dad's got fiber optics. It's way cool. Help him. So on the way back from north of Haifa, which is about two hours north of Jerusalem, um, I said, Dad, what, what do you do exactly? Explain this. Because I had gone to Berkeley, but I'd never taken a single computing or engineering or physics or math class. I, I studied history. And uh, my father basically, at the end of the week in Israel, gave me a hundred bucks a month to stay in touch with those guys at Rafael. I said, you know, I got a friend, he'll teach you optics. So I ultimately became a partner with my father. I raised the first money in Israel for that startup. And this was before there was a single venture capital fund here. And uh, we built that company and we sold it. So I was a little more than a salesman. I was sort of his, 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 his uh, partner, but we sold the company to Amoco, the large oil company. And I had my oh, first nice. exit and that's how I got started. Can I ask so what you sold it for? Uh, no, we don't. Uh, but it, in you know, uh, considerable amount, mil millions of dollars. Uh, at, okay, at so then I understand why you go on from there to start Israel Seed Partners. Um, Israel Seed Partners had a bunch of exits. Shopping.com, which was really big, um, sold to eBay. What's another one? Answers.com. I think I interviewed the founder of Answers and, and a few Tradium. others. Yeah, Tradium for four hundred. Yeah, th these were all. We were uh, one of the very first venture funds in Israel. A lot of us went on to go do great things in the ecosystem, running you know 
billions of dollars of who'd you uh, raise uh, from? Um, we had uh, a bunch of real big institutions. We had the Wellcome Trust. We had IBM. Uh, we had Deutsche Bank. We had uh, um, uh, you know this was now we started the in the early days in my garage. This because my my father had always started his businesses in a garage, and he was a serial entrepreneur. Um, and uh, I wanted to start in my garage, and we started with two million dollars. We ended up with a managing a fund of 260, which was a very large seed fund. And this was uh, your your money at first, yours and your dad's. It was uh, no, and my partners. I had uh, you'd uh, already raised partners. from institutions in the beginning the two million. No, we, no, no, no. Okay, no. yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, this was this was our money, but me and my partners and the, the family money. Okay, you know, and and some uh, 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 friends who had some wealth. We started with two million bucks, and we started growing it, and we did. And, what was the, what did you see? What were the, were you saying we're going to invest in Israeli companies? Were you saying we, we see that tech is on the rise? This was uh, 1995 before the yeah, big well, tech bubble. The, ni- the 90s were, <laughs> 1995 was a very good year to be investing in technology. And, and so was it back, just that, I, I believe internet technology and technology in general is going to grow? Yeah, we, we were, gonna you know, look, uh, I was an, uh, an investor and a, you know, sort of a co-founder of a company called Accent which was a, one of the first multilingual internet companies. And that was the year, you know, went public in 1994. It was uh, right after uh, Netscape. And, uh, you know, we were investing in internet companies, shopping.com, which we originally had called Deal Time, you know, was the first, com- you know, comparison shopping uh, site that, you know, did very well and was ultimately bought, you know, by eBay. Making um, money from affiliate deals, if I remember yeah, right. It was, it was doing, yeah, doing, doing great work. Um, and you know, we we one of our early investments in wins was in a company called CompuGen, which is still around, still traded billion dollar company doing bioinformatics. Um, so we were very cutting edge. We had a, a bunch of exciting uh, you know companies across deep tech because where Israel is really strong, especially in those days, we were a little bit unusual because we did internet, uh, but there was you know a lot of semiconductors and a lot of you know big science. Okay. Uh, you know, and and uh, it was fun and great, and did that for eleven years as a venture capitalist. But then wanted to go back being an entrepreneur again because I really, I've, I've always been you know on both sides my whole life, both being a, an investor and an entrepreneur. And that's why you know ultimately when I built our crowd and sort of initiated this platform, I could scratch both itches. Okay, on an the one hand, and investor. A, yeah, exactly, and I love that the most. How did you guys fare during the dot-com bubble burst back in 2000? Uh, it was pretty hairy. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, um, look, we had a, we had one company which we had, you know, sold just a couple of months before everything turned to uh, uh, a, a different reality. And we watched that stock go uh, vertical. They had sold actually the company to Vertical Net. And we, and we were making jokes about how the stock went vertical in the wrong way. Uh, and we uh, uh, also lost some really great companies. We had invested in a company in 1998, a couple of guys uh, called Earth Noise, who you never heard of, right? Yeah. That A couple of guys came back from Thailand and wanted to post their videos online, and they realized how hard it was, and they built a website. We backed it. We got $12 million. We were the leading video sharing website, mm-hmm. and this is back in the day. It was 19.2 when the – you know, shakeup happened. All of our investors ran away, 
And in 2002, we had to shut the company down. I think it was the next year that the guys at YouTube started their company. How did you personally deal with all this? Let me have a little vulnerability. So far, all we've talked about is everything going great. <laughs> no, this was, are you kidding? So, Watching, you know, I mean, look, I, I have a lot of respect for those guys, but you're, you know, you, in, in this business, you will struggle and be right and, and, and lose. Okay. And you can lose for a variety of reasons. For example, timing. Now, uh, you know, after uh, I left Israel Seed in 2006, I, um, I went to go build a company called Vringo, okay, which was a essentially TikTok kind of video sharing way before its time. It was a mobile app back in the day when the only mobile app environment was Symbian. And you run on an N75 phone from Nokia. This was before there was an iPhone. And it was a phenomenal idea. Basically, it was, hey, I can call you and I can cause any video to play on your phone when you're picking it up. So basically, you could share in real time short video clips. And it was really was TikTok. And we got it to work. But um, uh, we had we struggled with it because uh, uh, Apple didn't allow these kinds of uh, apps to run, especially with their call control. Finally, we got it to run on uh, Android. And ultimately, we actually got the company public. It went public in 2010. It was described as the world's most improbable IPO in the Wall Street Journal, okay? And uh, ultimately got merged into a company that was chasing patents and sued Google. Luckily, I wasn't part of that, okay? Uh, but the stock went wild, and uh, many of my investors and myself made uh, some real money. Uh, but uh, I, I, I left. And so here's a, a question when you see things like TikTok, and you say, wait a minute, I was doing this, you know, 15 years ago, okay? And um, it was way cool. You can still probably, you know, find things in the Wayback Machine, you know, on uh, on on the web. And that's, but that's fine. That's part of look, this business. Timing is perhaps the most underlooked and underappreciated factor. Let Let me pause for a second. I want to understand. I, I get the the timing, but I also feel like there's so much that Vringo had going for it. So it was founded 2006. I, I saw that you said ringtones are a $6 billion market. So around that time, people were buying ring, ringtones. I remember going to Europe and I would see endless commercials for ringtones on TV because if I bought a ringtone of my favorite song, it would it would play whenever somebody rang me or maybe when a specific person rang me. But also the phone company would charge me for it. And sometimes it would charge me on a subscription to get to do it. So you saw that. You said, what if we make it into video, not just audio? Why didn't, before we get into the unique creation of videos, why didn't that alone take off? Why didn't you say, why didn't just, just, just piggybacking off of that market work? Well, see, the, the ringtone market was a little bit sleazy. A yeah, lot. It was sort of very. like four, 4X before its time. You would entice these uh, kids who really wouldn't know any better to sign up for these programs and then they would just be paying and paying money. And they wouldn't and, know it because it's hidden in the phone bill. And the phone bill is full of little things that you don't notice. And what's another $10 a month? You blame yeah, your phone and, company and, if you and, notice I, it all. That, that part of the business never really appealed to me. I, I liked the social, the video sharing. And uh, the problem was that 
uh, trying to get these video clips licensed was going to cost us tens and tens of millions of dollars, assuming we could even get them. Okay. And it never took off. You know, there, there were no video ringtones. That did not become a thing because ringtones were literally, just as I was forming uh, Vringo, they were sort of dying. They had already peaked. And so what happened is, yes, we were right about social. We were right about the future belonging to companies like Facebook and about video sharing. Big time were we right. But we were just about 10 years too early. This uh, an article from 2019. Medved argues that Vringo, no less than MySpace or Facebook, can also be as uh, be the profitable basis for international social network. So you were right that nine. That wasn't 2019. No, excuse me. Right, 2009. You were right that Facebook was going to be profitable, and your vision then was. So, if I understand it right, you started out saying we could do video ringtones, just like ringtones. We're going to create video, uh, just like audio ringtones. We're going to create video ringtones. And then when you couldn't license enough video, you said, what if people can point it at their TV when they're watching a show at night and then the next time they call their friend that this show from last night pops up and there's a conversation. If they're at a party, they shoot a video yeah. at the party and when they call their friend, their friend sees a video and now we right. have a conversation. That was the exactly. view. Exactly, or, or like if my if, if, if you're a, a Brit and I'm an Italian, yeah. I'm calling you and, and, and showing the fact that you just lost, you know, live. So. This was this was match. this was TikTok sharing. I mean, we were not just demoing it, but the system worked. We had built a system that allowed you to share in real time 10-second video clips. Okay. And, you know, this was in 2006 and on Symbian. And then you also found a way to hack it into, into Android. Android. Uh, you also said we are waiting breathlessly for the moment that Apple will support video ringtones. We're still waiting. <laughs> we waited a long time. <laughs> it's happened. still not happening. Um, <laughs> but so that didn't work out. You still were starting to build it up. How did you get to go public? I'm looking at the S1. <laughs> How were you able to go public with this thing that didn't have real revenue, no profits needed? Wait, wait, we had thirty-two thousand dollars. Okay. Uh huh. So how how did you do it? Why well, did you do um, it? I, I did it because I could, and I, I wanted to raise the money, uh, and we did. And the people who actually participated made money because ultimately this company merged into something else, which uh, happened to be involved in uh, um, IP protection around mm -hmm. the search patents that were critical to the world. And uh, my investors made money. It was, a, look, a lot of luck involved there. And uh, uh, I can't certainly take any credit for the, the ultimate success. By the way, the company was a success and then it failed because uh, they, they, while they won their first round of the legal fight, it was overturned in appeals court. So, you know, luckily I, I didn't have to manage any of that. And uh, it was a great experience, by the way, because uh, I got a chance to be a public CEO and it's uh, that's a, a different kind of experience. How, how was that considering that the revenues weren't growing? Was that madness? Was that tough? It was tough, you know, but, we, but you know, look, we had a, a great vision and it was sort of like public venture capital, right? In when other the words, vision doesn't look, work out in public, how do you, how do you personally handle it? You, People yeah, fall you, under you, smaller crises. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty resilient. You know, I, I'm uh, an optimist. Look, I think that, you know, in venture capital and entrepreneurship, it's not really a good uh, 
business choice for pessimists. Okay. So you're just naturally people, optimistic. Give me, can you give me the worst day, the like John, whatever the equivalent of John Ling in bed and can't get up and going, I can't believe that this is the, the headlines I have to face today. And then what you did to get past it. What's a difficult day for you in this? In maybe if we can go back to Vringo and how did you get past it? I mean, um, look, I, I think that it was difficult when we were, you know, nip and tuck about whether we were going to get this thing public. Mm-hmm. It was on a road show and mm-hmm. talking to investors and it wasn't easy. And uh, I had some really great, um, amazing underwriters and backers who, you know, pushed me over the uh, the top there. And it's, a, you know, you, you have to have a certain thickness of skin you can't you know as a ceo of a public company you can't look at your stock price every day you know especially mine when it wasn't so great in the beginning uh and you know you have to be honest with your shareholders not just in terms of disclosure and letting them know what's really going on which we always did but um you know what one of the great stories about that ipo by the way uh is that when i was a uh, a kid at, at berkeley I left Berkeley with two incompletes in uh, Hebrew literature, would you believe? So I I was certain that I never graduated from college. And um, I was very careful all my life to basically tell everybody that I studied at Berkeley, but I, you know, never graduated. And uh, in 2010, we filed to go public. Um, In those days, you had already to hire fact checkers who would look at your bios of your team. And I got that call that a CEO dreads getting, which is Medved, we got a problem. And I said, oh no, who is it? He goes, you. I said, what do you mean me? He goes, your degree. And I said, what degree? I don't have a degree. He goes, that's it. Why are you lying that you don't have a degree? And I said, what are you talking about? Call your university. You graduated from Berkeley, you know, decades ago. Why don't you list it? We have to list it. So I called up and they said, yep, you graduated. And I went through you know, literally about 40 years of life, okay, not knowing that I had actually graduated when How I had graduated with two incompletes. Uh, because uh, I must have had enough credits, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, either it, that or the people who had given me the incompletes had mercy on me. I, I to this day, I have no idea. Okay, but I've got my degree. My degree. <laughs> my son bought me the little diploma up on my wall. It sits and. Uh, I now mention that I've got a degree because I got it. I, I was really proud of that. I thought I was like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and all those other guys who are also many of them born in, in, in my period of time. And I was, you know, a self-made man without a degree. But I wasn't <laughs> Turns so Turns out like, you weren't. But <laughs> so then I'm still not getting like the low of John Medved. What is the low? Was there a low? Is there a low at all? No. No. God has been good It just to doesn't me. go to you. It's so no. do you, it, it you mentioned God has been good to me. You you live kosher life. It, you, I'm assuming that you're you've got uh, faith. I've got a great family. Is I've that got what a gets you through life. it? I you got believe- yes. Yes. So I've in, got a in wife your lowest moment, you say, "My uh, God's taking care of me. I have a vision for myself." No, I'm not no. that. You know, look, I'm, I, I I come home to a wife who I love. Okay, okay. been married for 35 years. I've got four unbelievably wonderful children who have produced so far 10 amazing grandchildren. Um, They all live nearby. You know, uh, I live in a place which I think is magical. I live in in the city of Jerusalem, which is sort of 
right between past and future. Okay, I have great friends. I'm in the most wonderful career you could possibly imagine, which is being an enabler of other people's dreams, right? Being able to, you know, help people build companies and they win and they lose, you know? And so if I'm upset about something, yeah, it's because I'm overweight. Okay. It's yeah, because I, you know, uh, uh, I don't exercise enough or uh, I get, you know, upset like everybody does about politics or the pandemic or whatever it is. Okay. I mean, That's I'm it. Not You're not a, sitting around going, this is not going to work out. I think I'm in trouble here. Why am I? No, no. I always think about that- how do you get out of the situation? How, where, where do you turn it around? Okay. Uh, I, I, look, I, um, in many of my own companies, I mean, look, my father taught me a lesson back in the early days of merit when we had, you know, uh, we, there were times when we would issue ourselves paychecks as we'd pay all the other employees. And he'd say, son, give me that paycheck. And he put it in the drawer because we had no money to cover it at the bank. Okay. My mother had to actually, uh, she was divorced from my father at the time, but she actually put her house up as collateral so we could keep the company going. Okay. So, you know, I've, I've had my moments when, you know, uh, call it my, you know, my ample gut check. Okay. When you have to realize that it's, this, this is money time, literally. Okay. I've been, you know, in certain companies weeks away from, you know, uh, absolute disaster. Okay. And, and when you invest in as many companies as I have in my career, and that's, I think now uh, something, you know, north of 400, uh, companies, you have failures. You have phenomenal. So then, what failures. gets you? What gets you through those moments? Is it just a belief that this is part of life, or what? It's it, it's it's part of the process. In other That's words, it. this this doesn't work without failure. You've got to learn from failure. You got to accept failure as part of this process. Okay. If, if you have this sort of Pollyannish vision that hey, startups are wonderful, everything goes up, they always win. It doesn't work that way. Okay, and then on the other hand, you know, failure is not the end of your life. You know, most venture capitalists know that uh, a second time entrepreneur who's had a failure is a better investment choice than the first timer who's never done anything. Mm. I wonder also if it's that you're not spending much. Tell me if this is too personal for me to notice. I'm looking over your sh- your shoulder. You've got a wonderful bookcase jam packed with books. That bookcase looks like a college student wouldn't want it. Like maybe they put <laughs> it outside well, and you picked it up. There's some really cool, wonderful wood here. This oh, is that real wood? Bit. Maybe it's just not coming across. Yeah, that's that's, that's like beautiful hard oh, wood. Okay, there. all right. <laughs> <laughs> I expected my it wife point. better yes. not hear this podcast because she'll be po'd. Then I mean, blame she... Apple's blame Apple's webcam. Then sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So I'm on our crowd right now. If I wanted to invest, the thing that I need to do is go to the top and look for, and just hit the invest button. And is there something knowing me, you know, me, I'm more like software entrepreneur. I do love that beyond me, dude. Once I tasted it, I gave it to my kids. They've been lifelong vegetarians. They had it. They fell in love right away. So first of all, that if you like beyond meat, you should yes. do beyond milk, which is a company called ripple foods. Let me take a look making, at that. Yes. Okay. Who are making a plant-based uh, milk alternative product line. It's oversubscribed. Can I invest in it? Uh, yep. You get on the waiting list. We're trying okay. to get more allocation. 
we are we are we are way oversubscribed on that one. That's very popular. We led the last round in Ripple with Google Ventures. Uh, our crowd and Google Ventures did the, mm. the the lead of the last round. We're we're putting in in this one more than ten million dollars, uh, and uh, um, it's uh, it's 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 pretty exciting. I mean, this is a a company that competes with Oatly. Oatly, of course, is the darling of Wall Street, uh, except it's not uh, the round isn't priced at the same multiples uh, of, of of Oatly, and we think the product's better. It's less calories less fat, less sugar, and a lot more protein and tastes better. And uh, I like, you know, betting on a fast follower competitor with a better product. Can I taste it somewhere here? Maybe I should go Absolutely. look at their website. Absolutely. It's in stores everywhere. It is? You can't taste it on my on my website, but you can no, go down I... to the store in the Bay Area. Just buy Ripple. Let me know. I'd love it. If you, okay. If you... I'll find it. I'm, I'm down for that stuff. What about, um, there's our crown community fund three. What's that? Okay, so we have a, um, that's a continuity fund. It's like an opportunity fund. So uh, anytime that we have a company on the platform who is now getting a subsequent up round mm-hmm. led by a bona fide financial investor, not a strategic investor, then that fund jumps. Okay, it's a rule-based fund. So that, you know, you basically get rid of uh, infant mortality mm-hmm. and you're you're basically, it's like a winner's fund. And that's, that's and we, we, we have... 27 funds on our crowd. We have our crowd 50, which is a 50 company index. Our minimums on funds are $50,000. Okay. And, um, you know, that, that Meaning divide- I put in $50,000 minimum into this fund. And all this fund does is says, what are the winners that are raising another round? We at our crowd get to participate. And that's the, that's the continuity fund. The, the index fund will give you an index of different stages and sectors, $1,000 in 50 companies. And then oh, we yeah. have, you know, uh-huh. other funds where you can invest in Rebel, which is a cool early stage fund out of Silicon Valley, uh, investing in Y Combinator companies. You can invest. That's in- Rebel. It's on this platform. Yeah, I didn't know that. I don't see it in the list. Maybe I need to log in. I've got a login account. I just didn't yeah. log in on this device. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, uh, you know, we've we've invested in a whole series of funds. Uh, you know, uh, U.S. venture partners. Uh, you know, we're doing Gulilot now, which is a great fund out of Israel, uh, focusing on cybersecurity. Prequin named it one of the 10 best. So, you know, at our crowd, we're basically trying to democratize the access to these companies directly where you can select a company, invest 10 grand or to funds. And the problem with most people in funds is that, you know, if you find a fund you'd like, you know, get ready to write a multi-million dollar check, right? Because the minimums mm-hmm. in most good funds, you know, Maybe they'll let you in for two or three million, but let's say you want to invest 50 grand. Good luck with that. That's not happening. Except that what we do is that we go in and say, look, we're going to uh, out, you know, aggregate a five million, 10 million, 20 million dollar piece and be a single LP, but we're going to have hundreds of people inside, you know, our uh, partnership. And that's that's how it works. All right. I'm going to make sure that I'm logged in. I'll go hit that invest button. I appreciate you being on here. I don't know if you noticed it, but I said I was going to do an ad for HostGator. I didn't even get to do it because I got so wrapped up in the freaking conversation, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> my sponsors know they're either a part of the conversation if it fits it nat- naturally or they're not at all. And I just make up for it another time. John, I really appreciate you being on here. The website for anyone who wants to go check it out is rcrowd.com. And I guess I'll, I'll be on there now. It was great spending time with you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.